our diseases. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Adam. If we haven't met, I'm part of the team here at Oasis, and it's great uh, to be with you this morning. And I want to begin by asking you, I wonder if there's a time in your life, if there's been a time in your life when you were really, really sick, when you were struck down by illness, when you were diagnosed with disease. Now, I know for many of us, we don't have to think very hard. I know that we immediately think of a time or times in our life when we were really sick. Or maybe you're sick right now. I know there are people in our church family with cancer, with chronic illness, those undergoing treatment, those with undiagnosed pain. There are many in our church family who are really, really sick. Now, the reality is we all experience sickness and illness and disease. Not always to the same extent, not always to the same intensity, but we all experience sickness and illness and disease in some form. And the truth is, when we're really sick, or when a loved one is really sick, it can be really difficult to trust God. It can lead us to wonder, what is God doing in this situation? Why would God allow this diagnosis. If we're honest, sickness can shake our faith. This week, uh, I read the story of a a man named Scott Blackwell. Uh, Scott grew up on the north side of Brisbane uh, many years ago, and when he was a young man, he was diagnosed with pneumococcal meningitis, which is caused by a, um, a bacteria on the brain, a bacterial infection. Now, children occasionally uh, died from this infection, and often uh, children would be left physically and mentally disabled. Now, for Scott, after a five-day coma and and five days of people praying for him, eventually he woke up. It was an answer to prayer, and Scott and his parents were relieved. But Scott wasn't entirely unscathed. He seemed to be mentally and physically intact, or mentally and intellectually intact, rather, but the the right side of his body was completely paralyzed. And so this meant for Scott many months of physiotherapy, learning to sit and learning to, to crawl and learning to walk again. He was a young boy when he was diagnosed with this. It also meant that he had to wear a leg brace until he was at least eight or nine years old. And when the leg brace came off, Scott uh, walked with a severe limp and and suffered other side effects. Uh, Scott writes this in, in a book that he's written. He said, I was alive and walking, but in the end, I was not normal. I knew I wasn't. Normality is a strange craving in the heart of the young. I longed for the anonymity, the invisibility that being like everyone else brings. I prayed for it. Some of my earliest memories are of begging God to reach down and touch my body and make it whole. I wasn't just asking God to fix my arm and my leg. I was also pleading with him to heal the neurological issues that came in the aftermath of an illness that wreaks havoc on the nervous system. The bad bladder, the bad back, the strange muscle spasms in the middle of the night, the cramps, the headaches. I wanted so desperately to be healed. 
and I couldn't understand why God wasn't able to hear my prayers or see my tears of frustration and need. Scott longed to be healed, to be made whole. And maybe you can sympathize with Scott. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there right now. Or maybe you're not a Christian. And maybe it's because you had a a loved one who was sick and, and you asked God to heal them, but he didn't. Or maybe you can't understand why God would heal some people and not others. It seems random or even unfair to you. When it comes to this issue of sickness and healing, we have lots of questions, even some doubts. And this is what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about healing. We're going to be looking at three stories of Jesus healing three different people. And we're going to try to answer the question, why did Jesus heal people? And what does it mean for you and for me today? We're actually, as Ben mentioned, kicking off a new sermon series today called Who is Jesus? Uh, We're diving back into the Gospel of Matthew. If you're not familiar with uh, the Bible, Matthew is one of the four accounts of Jesus' life and ministry in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, you might remember that this time last year, we actually went through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is Jesus' uh, teaching, a body of Jesus' teaching, which we find in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. It's all about what it means to follow Jesus. Well, today, we're going to pick up the story. We're going to pick up the narrative in chapter 8. And we're going to see that the focus of the narrative shift from Jesus' message to Jesus' mission, from Jesus' words to Jesus' deeds, from what Jesus said to what Jesus did. In other words, over the next eight weeks, we're going to see Jesus in action. We're going to see Jesus healing people as we see today, uh, calling people to follow him. We're going to see Jesus raising the dead, being confronted and challenged by religious leaders. We're going to see Jesus in action. And as we look at what Jesus did, or as we look at what he says and what he does, we're going to gain some insight into who Jesus is. See, as we see Jesus in action, we're going to learn more about Jesus' identity, about who he is and why he came. And today, as I already mentioned, we're going to begin with the healings of Jesus. Three stories of Jesus healing three different people. So I hope if you have a Bible with you, you have it open there to Matthew 8. Uh, I want you to see that what we're looking at today is coming from God's Word, and we're going to explore it together. We're going to look at these three stories of Jesus healing three different people. The first story, uh, if you're taking notes, is is this. It's the man with leprosy. The man with leprosy, verses 1 to 4. Now, in the ancient world, leprosy was a terrible disease. Uh, It was basically a skin disease which often caused disfigurement. But what made leprosy really terrible was not just the physical suffering, it was the social implications. To get leprosy in the ancient world was basically a social death sentence. You were essentially removed from society. If someone came near to you, you had to call out unclean to warn them not to come too close to you. 
You weren't allowed to go to worship services. You weren't even allowed to live within the walls of the city. You had to live outside the city. You were an outcast. Now, we got a a small idea of this uh, recently, didn't we, during COVID. I mean, in the early days of COVID, if you caught the disease, you were basically banished from society. You know, you had to stay in your house or your hotel room. Uh, You weren't allowed to, to leave. You weren't allowed to go to church. You weren't allowed to go to the shops, even go for a walk. Now, usually this period of quarantine, I can't exactly remember. I think it was a week or so. But for these lepers, it was their whole life. It was their whole life. And so you can understand why this leper, when he sees Jesus, he reaches out to him. He comes down and he he kneels before Jesus and he says, verse 2, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, what an amazing statement of faith. I want to just stop here for a moment and just reflect on this statement because it's so important, especially when it comes to healing. Because you see, on the one hand, this leper says to Jesus, I know that you can heal me. He says, you can make me clean. He has no doubt about Jesus' ability to heal. But at the same time, he acknowledges, Jesus, you can heal me, but you may choose not to. He says, if you are willing. And this shows us that when it comes to healing, there is a distinction between God's power, God's ability, and God's will, God's decision. Both of those things are important when it comes to healing. We need to have total confidence in God's ability, God's power, and complete surrender to God's will. I mean, is God able to heal you? Absolutely, no question. He has total authority over sickness and disease. Will God heal you in this life? That is an entirely different question. And the answer uh, here in Matthew 8 as we'll see in a moment, is yes. But there are many other parts of the Bible. There are many other people in the Bible for whom the answer is no. 2 Corinthians 12, we're told about the Apostle Paul's mysterious thorn in the flesh. He cries out to God to take it away from him. And God says, no, I'm not going to take it away from you. God actually says to him, I'm not taking this away so that you will learn to trust me. When it comes to healing in this life, we need total confidence in God's ability and complete surrender to God's will. You know, an example of this is uh, a man by the name of James Montgomery Boyce. Uh, James uh, Montgomery Boyce was a pastor for over 30 years. He was a well-known teacher of the Bible. And in the year 2000, when he was 62 years old, he, he stood before his church congregation to tell them that he'd been diagnosed with liver cancer. And, and this is what he said uh, to his congregation on that occasion. He said, should you pray for a miracle? Well, you're free to do that, of course. My general impression, he said, is that the God who is able to do miracles, and he certainly can, is also able to keep you from getting the problem in the first place. So although miracles do happen, they're rare by definition. Here's what he says. Above all, I would say, pray for the glory of God. If you think of God glorifying himself in history and you say, where in all of history has God most glorified himself? 
He did it at the cross of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't by delivering Jesus from the cross, though he could have. God is in charge. When things like this come into our lives, they are not accidental. It's not as if God somehow forgot what was going on and something bad slipped by. God is not the only one who is in charge. God is also good. Everything he does is good. And James Montgomery Boyce died eight weeks later. But he died trusting in God. Total confidence in God's ability to heal and complete surrender to God's will. And so getting back to the story, this leper says to Jesus, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, how does Jesus respond? Look at verse 3. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Now, everyone in the crowd gasped at this point, audibly. In the ancient world, no one touched a leper. Not only could you catch the disease, but it would make you ritually unclean. But Jesus does it anyway. He didn't have to do this. He could have stayed at a distance. He could have just spoken the words and, and healed this man, as we'll see in the next story. But he reached out and he touched him. He touched the untouchable. This is probably the first human contact that this man has had in years. And incredibly, when Jesus touches this man, look at this very carefully, Jesus is not contaminated by him, but he is cleansed by Jesus. Verse 3, immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And this is a beautiful picture of the gospel. This is a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for you and for me. See, Jesus, the Son of God, he became one of us. He drew near to us. He reached out to us. He even died for us to deal with our uncleanness, to deal with our guilt and our shame and our sin. And Jesus becoming one of us does not make him sinful. Rather, it is what cleanses us. It's a beautiful picture of why Jesus came. And this is why Jesus heals this man, to show us why he has come. He's come to make us clean. He's come to deal with our shame. He's come to deal with our sin. It also shows us who Jesus is. You know, right at the end of this passage, Matthew makes this really fascinating connection. After telling us about the three healings, he says this in verse 17. He says, all of this, all of these healings was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Matthew's point is that the healings of Jesus, they fulfill some of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. You see, for thousands of years, God had promised to send a Messiah, to send a Savior. And the prophet Isaiah told us that when this Savior comes, he will be a healer. He will bear our infirmities, bear our diseases. And so Matthew is kind of connecting the dots for us. He's saying this is why Jesus healed people, because this is who he is. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the promised one, the one who will heal our infirmities. And this is why Jesus healed people, to show us who he is. He's the Messiah, the promised one, and to show us why he came. He's come 
to make us clean, to deal with our sickness and diseases and illnesses and pain. And this is exactly what this leper experienced. He is made clean. Just imagine what this must have been like for him. Healed, whole, restored. So the first thing that Jesus does, he makes the unclean clean. This brings us to the the second story, which fills in some more details about healing and, and why Jesus healed people. And the second story is the Roman soldier's servant. Now, in the first story, Jesus cleanses the unclean. And in the second story, he includes the ethnic outsider. Now, we're told there that Jesus is now in Capernaum, which is a town on the Sea of Galilee. Now, now by the way, just as an aside, these stories are not strictly chronological. They didn't necessarily happen one after the other. Rather, Matthew has kind of selected different stories from Jesus' life to give us a picture of who Jesus is, to teach us about Jesus. And so when we come to this second story, Jesus is now in Capernaum, and he is approached by a Roman soldier. We're told there in verse 5 that this man was a centurion, which means he was in charge of 100 soldiers. So he's a man that's used to being in charge. But here he comes to ask Jesus for his help. Now, now there's a lot uh, about this interaction that's surprising. He comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I have a servant at home that is terribly sick. Will you heal him? Now, there's lots about this that is surprising. First of all, that this Roman soldier was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. He, He did not belong to the people of God. But secondly, what makes it even more surprising is that he was part of the Roman army. In other words, he was not just a Gentile, he was the worst kind of Gentile. He was a part of the occupying force. You know, Rome ruled over the Jews at this time. And so he was the wrong race and he wore the wrong uniform. And so it's surprising that this man would come to Jesus to ask for help. But Jesus' response to him is is perhaps equally as surprising. Jesus doesn't say to him, oh, sorry, I'm busy. Sorry, you're on the wrong team. Jesus says to him, verse 7, shall I come and heal him? Shall I come to your home and heal your servant? Now, again, if you're in the crowd, you gasped at this point. A a Jew did not enter the home of a Gentile in that day. It would make them unclean. But, But just like Jesus did with the leper, he is willing to cross this boundary because this is why he came to seek and to save the lost. Now, you might think that the Roman soldier would say, wonderful, thank you, Jesus, let's get going. But look at how he responds. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Now, maybe it's just that he hadn't cleaned up that day and the house was really dirty and he didn't want Jesus to see it. Or I think more of the fact is that he's like the leper, he's humble. And like the leper, He also trusts Jesus. He recognizes the authority of Jesus. Look at verse 8. He says to Jesus, just say the word and my servant will be healed. Now, this is incredible, amazing faith. I mean, Jesus was not walking around the ancient world with a halo around his head. Jesus did not have a neon sign over his head that said, son of God, able to heal. I mean, Jesus had no outward Status, no social standing, no religious status, no secular authority. And yet this centurion recognized something about Jesus. 
He was willing to trust the word of Jesus. It's amazing faith. In fact, it even amazed Jesus. Jesus is amazed in the Gospels only twice. Once by someone's lack of faith, and here by this centurion's abundant faith. Look what he says, verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Jesus has never seen faith like this, and it's come from a surprising place. It hasn't come from among the people of God. It's come from outside the people of God. It hasn't come from the nation of Israel. It's come from the Roman army. It's incredible. And this is why Jesus goes on to say something perhaps even more amazing, perhaps even more shocking. Look what Jesus says, verses 11 and 12. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, when Jesus talks about those from the east and the west, he's talking about the nations. He's talking about Gentiles, non-Jews, those from all over the world who will come to faith in Jesus and take their place in the kingdom of heaven. Those like many of us in this building. But when he talks about the, the subjects of the kingdom or the sons of the kingdom, he's referring to Jews. He's referring to those who are born into God's people. And he's saying if they refuse to come to Jesus, they will be thrown out of God's kingdom. Here's the way an author named Glenn Scrivener explains it. He says, the message is clear. With Jesus, the very worst and furthest from God are brought home. Without Jesus, the very best and nearest to God are shut out forever. The issue is not your pedigree, your piety, or your performance. The only thing to have is Christ himself. If you don't want him, then you don't want the light of the world. To receive Jesus is to receive the very radiance of God's eternal light and love. To reject Jesus is to prefer darkness. Now, again, this might seem like an excursus in, in, in kind of the healings of, of Jesus, but this actually teaches us something very important about healing. And it's this. There is something more important than physical healing. What ultimately matters in this life is not whether you are healed, whether Jesus takes away your sickness or not. What ultimately matters is whether Jesus takes away your sin or not. Because listen to me. Even if Jesus takes away your sickness, you will still eventually die and face God's judgment. And if you don't have Jesus, if you're not trusting Jesus, you'll be thrown outside into the darkness. Now, I know these are hard, heavy words, but I say them because God's word says them. And because I don't want to deceive you, I want to be clear and honest with you because I want to love you. Again, Glenn Scrivener puts it this way. He says, where else are you going to go if you will not have Jesus? If he is life, then to reject him must mean death. If he is love, then to reject him must mean disconnection. If he is light, then to reject him must mean outer darkness. 
While this seems unconscionably tragic, nothing could be fairer. Nothing could be more inevitable. Outer darkness is inevitable reality for those who would be Christless. But today, take heart. The alternative, Christ, is freely offered to lepers, to heathen, to any from east and west who will simply come. And friends, this is why when it comes to healing, we need to recognize there is something more important than physical healing. There is something more important than having your sickness take away, taken away by Jesus. It's to have your sins taken away by Jesus. Because if Jesus takes away your sin, then he also promises to you that one day he will take away all your suffering and all your sickness for all eternity. Now, we're given this vision of the future at the end of the Bible in Revelation 21. A heaven and earth are reunited. God will dwell with his people. And then we read this in verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. If your trust is in Jesus, he might not heal you in this life, but he definitely will in the next. He will heal you for all eternity. He will restore you completely. He will wipe away all your tears. And this is actually why Jesus healed people. He didn't do it simply as a kind of party trick to show off his power, though though his healings do show us his power. He did it to show us where we're headed. He did it to give us a glimpse of the future. John Dixon puts it this way. He says, Jesus' deeds are a sign, listen to this, a sign within history of the restoration of all things at the end of history. Jesus' power over sickness, evil, and nature are a preview, you might say, of God's coming kingdom. And so when Jesus feeds the hungry, he is pointing us to a time when there will be no more children dying of starvation. When Jesus heals the sick and and the leper and raises the dead, he is pointing us to a world in which there'll be no more sin, suffering, sickness, or death. When he calms the storm, he is pointing us to a world world where the natural world will not be our foe but our friend. No more floods or avalanches. Jesus' healings, in other words, are not stunts. They're a preview of the world that is to come. And the question is, the question for you and me today, is will we be part of that world? Will you be part of God's coming kingdom? The door is open to you. The door is open to lepers and Roman soldiers and to you and to me and to any from east and west who will simply come. The door is open, but the door is Christ. You must come to him. There is no other door. And this is what the the Roman soldier seemed to recognize. This is what the leper seemed to recognize. And, And they receive healing from Jesus. And it leads Jesus to say to this Roman soldier in verse 13, he says, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. And so the first story of healing is the man with leprosy. The unclean is made clean. The second story is the Roman soldier's servant. The outsider is brought in. And the third and final story, which will be much, much shorter, is Peter's mother-in-law. Now, I'm not going to make any mother-in-law jokes. 
But most commentators will point out that Matthew has highlighted these three stories on purpose, that he has highlighted people on the margins of society. The leper, a social outcast, the soldier's servant, an ethnic outcast, and then a woman, a cultural outcast. You see, in that day, women were considered second-class citizens. And, And yet, just like he did with the leper, just like he did with the servant, Jesus does not hesitate to cross this cultural boundary. You see there in verse 14 that he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And so here in Matthew chapter 8, in Matthew chapter 8, he gives us Jesus healing three different people, three people on the margins, three people on the outside, a leper, a Roman soldier, and even a mother-in-law. And the point is that Jesus came for everyone. He came to cleanse the unclean. He came to bring in the outsider. He came to lift up the marginalized. And he came to bring us true healing. Not just temporary healing of our bodies, which extends our life for 10, 20, 30 years, but healing of our whole selves, our whole world for all eternity. And thankfully, this is what Scott Blackwell came to understand If you remember Scott's story from the start, we left him on his knees in his bedroom, crying out to God to heal him. Now, sadly, Scott's life did not get any easier. His parents divorced not long after. He had to move into state, but that didn't go well, and he ran away from home, and he ended up starting to take drugs. He ended up tired, sick, starving, alone, and in his own words, mildly suicidal. Now, eventually, uh, Scott got a job as a cook at a crisis center. This crisis center was run by a Christian organization, and it was through their influence that, that Scott found true healing. He writes this. He says, And so I found myself praying again, not kneeling on the floor of my bedroom this time, but sitting at the kitchen table at the youth crisis center. Essentially, though, the prayer was the same. I was crying out for rescue and change. I wanted God to be real in my life. And by degrees and through God's grace, my prayer was answered. I began to talk, ask questions, read my New Testament and learn. I went to church for the first time. I joined a a Bible study group. I discovered that I had a new wellspring of patience and generosity. But these were not the most important discoveries. Most important of all was the wonderful and terrible discovery of forgiveness. I was free. I was free from the hurts that had dogged me since childhood. I was free from the resentment I had carried concerning my disability. I was free from the baggage of a broken family. I didn't have to be the man I was. I could be someone new. To discover all these things in the salvation message of the gospel was pure joy. It was like finally breaking the surface of deep, dark waters and being able to breathe again. I was free to live and love as God had always meant me to. It was wonderful, but it was also terrible. Such freedom was not accomplished by magic. There was no mere wave of the wand and abracadabra, you're out of the box. No, my salvation was won at a cost. God the Son, Jesus, had died in my place. By his stripes, I had been healed." God had laid my willful, rebellious, and arrogant sins on Jesus. And he had died so that I could live as a son and not as an enemy. 
The night I finally realized the whole truth of the gospel, the love of God fell on me like a hammer blow, and I held my ribs while I wept, fearing that my heart would either break or burst under the impact. They were tears of grief blended with joy that God would love me in such a way, that God would save me at the terrible cost of the death of his one and only son. I sat in grieving silence for hours. A love I had never even dreamed existed, let alone experienced, provoked the crisis. And when the crisis was over, I stood up as a new creation, a new man with a radically transformed understanding of what it means to be truly healed. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are at work in our lives to heal us, to restore us, to make us whole. And Lord, this is not a simple or easy or quick process. And Lord, sometimes you don't heal us of our physical sicknesses. But we know there is a day coming when all tears will be wiped away. And so Lord, help us to move forward in faith. Help us to live with total confidence in your ability and complete surrender to your will. Jesus, thank you that you are our healer and that by your stripes we are healed. Thank you for the salvation that you have purchased for us on the cross. Help us to live in light of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.